DW Living Planet with Sarah Stefan. Hi there, Living Planet is taking a break at the moment, so we thought we'd bring you a special from our On the Green Fence podcast colleagues. It's a deep dive into all things plastic. For more of the episodes, check out DW Podcasts on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Okay, with much further ado, I'll let Neil King take it from here. We made plastic in the first place, so we should be able to keep the material in the loop, design them in a way that they're easy to be kept in the loop. The real problem with plastic is not the material per se, it's how we deal with the material after it's been used. And I think that's a solvable problem in times where we're aiming to land on Mars. We can't recycle our way out of the plastic crisis. This is also because in every step, in every recycling uh, circle, we do lose energy and material. We also need to look at the real solutions, which are reuse and avoiding waste. I'm Neil King, and you're listening to On the Green Fence. This is the fifth instalment of our series about plastics, and in this episode, we'll be looking at recycling. Is it up to the task of stemming a plastic pollution crisis? And what needs to change to keep plastics in the economy rather than in the environment? In Germany, every house or apartment building usually has a line of different bins out the front. Now, where I am, there's a green one for packaging, um, there's a brown one for compost, a black one for general household waste, a blue one for paper and cardboard, and and there's also a drop-off point uh, for glass. Now, separating the rubbish is a task that Germans take pretty seriously, by the way. It's even a source of pride to some people. And there's a reason for that. Germans have a reputation internationally for being world champions when it comes to recycling. In a global study in 2017, Germany was ranked number one for recycling around 66% of its waste. That is all waste, though, not just plastic. But the reality after that rubbish is collected isn't so rosy. I was rather shocked to find out that even after we separate our plastic waste here in Germany, more than 50% of it is in fact burned. Official statistics say a little over 40% is recycled. First of all, Germany is a plastic production champion in Europe. So one quarter of Europe's plastic is actually produced in Germany. So we're looking at a really big and powerful chemical plastic sector. That's Janine Corduan, a senior program officer for Circular Economy with Friends of the Earth Germany. And as you can probably tell, Janine is not impressed by Germany's supposed recycling prowess. She says the current recycling rate isn't something to be excited about. That is more than the global 9%. So that is good. But I wouldn't call us a recycling champion because there's still a lot to do. We also need to look at other um, points of the waste hierarchy, which means avoiding waste and reuse. And only the third step is the recycling. Plastics are made from fossil fuels. They require energy, money, resources to produce. 
In theory, almost all plastic products could be recycled or turned into something new at the end of their life. But in most cases, this isn't happening. Because the bulk of the plastic we use ends up in landfill, gets incinerated or leaks into nature. Since the production of plastic took off in the 1950s, there have been around 10 billion tonnes of it produced worldwide. So more than one tonne for every person alive on this earth today. And the amount of plastic is only growing. Around 430 million tonnes is currently produced every year. By some estimates, that could triple by 2060, with significant costs for the environment if we don't change the way we deal with it once we're done using it. Recycling is seen as one way to get a handle on plastic pollution. But as Janine mentioned, only 9% is recycled globally. We already heard that Germany recycles a little over 40% of its plastic waste. In the US, only 5-6% to is recycled, according to Greenpeace. And in the UK, it's around 12%. So why are recycling rates so low? Here's the thing. It's usually cheaper to make new plastic from scratch, from oil, than it is to collect and sort used plastic and recycle it into another product. The reason many plastics are not recycled is that it often doesn't make economic sense to do so. Some countries have imposed rules to try and curb plastic waste, with taxes on virgin plastics or restrictions on single-use products. For example, the EU has banned common plastics that routinely end up in the trash after one use, like disposable cutlery, plates, drinking straws and stirring sticks. But Janine says there need to be more incentives to make recycling and sustainable choices more attractive. We don't have taxes on virgin plastics and it is still too cheap. And that's why we do need political regulation to, to make generally um, uh, like the extraction and the use of raw materials and also plastics, virgin plastics, more expensive to save them, to not use them, that is it's still a long way to go. The EU is also trying to tackle the waste problem with recycling targets. It wants to create a circular economy by 2050, with all plastics being reused or recycled in a closed system. Under proposed rules, at least 55% of all plastic packaging waste should be recycled by 2030. Right now, 38% of plastic packaging in the EU is recycled. Germany is slightly above that at 45%. And certain packaging, such as drink bottles, would need to contain a minimum of 30% recycled content by 2030 and 65% recycled content by 2040. Let's get the plastic industry's take on these quotas, because they're going to require a shift from the way plastics are designed to the way they are dealt with at the end of their life. Needless to say, the investments that need to take place in driving circularity and accelerating circularity um, are huge. Um, Far-reaching reorganizations are happening of, of the production, uh, of the technology base, the assets, um, to really speed up this, this transition. This is Virginia Janssens. She's the managing director of the trade association Plastics Europe. That regulation could be really a game-changer for incorporating recycled content in plastic packaging. So we're really looking. So at the same time, we are investing in this space, but also working with with the commission and and the co-legislators to make sure that the enabling framework and the legislative targets are there to create that demand. Uh, So, um, And when I say demand, so these targets will really help us boost the market for those secondary raw materials, if you like, 
and, and re reduce at the same time the need for virgin primary raw materials and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Because needless to say, you cannot decouple circularity also with uh, the low carbon objectives uh, in this space. Uh, but indeed, those financing mechanisms as well need to be need to be put in place so that at least the value of plastics waste also increases and then achieving that circular economy. When most people diligently sort their yoghurt containers and peanut butter jars, they're probably not imagining this plastic waste being shipped overseas or being burned in an incineration plant. But if all goes well and this plastic actually is recycled, there are two possible ways of doing it. Mechanical recycling and chemical recycling. Mechanical recycling is by far the most popular. Almost all of the plastic waste in Germany that is recycled is processed this way, while chemical recycling is still in the early stages of its development. So, with mechanical recycling, the plastic gets separated and washed. Its chemical composition doesn't change, but it gets ground down into pellets to be used for making new products. So what are the downsides? Number one, this whole process, the sorting and the cleaning, is expensive. It's generally cheaper to make new virgin plastic from scratch out of oil. Of course, that can shift depending on the oil price. So often there's not a very strong economic incentive for collecting and sorting plastic waste and then recycling it this way. Number two. Plastic degrades each time it is recycled mechanically. So products can only go through the cycle a certain number of times before ending up as waste. That's why PET water bottles, for example, are often downcycled and used for fibres in clothing or carpet. And number three. Not all plastics can be mechanically recycled. It works great for simple, easy-to-recycle plastics such as PET or for high-density polyethylene, HDPE, which is commonly used in packaging. But most other plastics are problematic. Complex items like packaging with multiple layers, mixed materials, different colours or additives are a nightmare for mechanical recycling. They're simply unrecyclable. It's the same for tyres and construction waste. So these are some of the key problems behind our sluggish recycling rates. What mechanical recycling has going for it, though, is that it has a lower carbon footprint than making virgin plastic from oil. By some estimates, it also emits 50% less greenhouse gas emissions per metric tonne of plastic product than chemical recycling, and 60% less than incinerating plastic for energy. So it's often the best option from an environmental perspective. Now let's take a look at chemical recycling. As its name suggests, this process uses different techniques to break down plastics into their chemical building blocks. All plastics are polymers. You can think of them as long chains made up of molecules called monomers. There are quite a few chemical recycling options. One example is depolymerization. This involves using heat or chemical agents like solvents to break the bonds of a polymer and reduce it to its monomers. Those can then be used to create new plastic. 
Then there's pyrolysis, where the plastic waste is heated at high temperatures and converted into fuel that can then go into fresh polymers. Chemical recycling isn't widely used yet, but it has some significant advantages. For starters, it can process plastics that mechanical recycling cannot tackle, such as multi-layer food packaging, mixed polymers, or contaminated plastics. Virginia is convinced that scaling up chemical recycling is crucial for reaching the EU's recycling targets. Our membership base has announced planned investments for chemical recycling in Europe, up to, I believe it was 8 billion uh, by 2030. But it's important to say as well that we see this as a complementary uh, recycling mechanism next to mechanical recycling. It's very important. We need to accelerate quite a bit if we want to reach the 30% recycled content target, that's for sure. Now is the time where we need the support of the EU policymakers to give that legal clarity to the investors, to our members, uh, to the companies who are investing in chemical recycling, that this is recognized as a recycling technology and that this can also then used in the recycled content targets as well and, and to help to achieve them. Chemical recycling has a smaller carbon footprint than producing virgin plastic from fossil fuels and burning it. But it is still energy intensive. Breaking chemical bonds can require temperatures of over 400 degrees Celsius. And it's controversial because it's also a process that hasn't been widely tested with different quality plastics on a large scale. Janine says it's a technology we should be cautious about. There are different studies on chemical recycling, and they say that it has a very high energy demand. One even states that pyrolysis has a nine times higher energy demand than mechanical recycling. So this is a problem because there will never be unlimited green energy. Also, uh, energy production relies on limited resources. So we need to look at our energy use. With chemical recycling, we also have unwanted byproducts. Uh, for example, coke in pyrolysis. And depending on the process, it can even become a fluid. And this needs a substantial effort, actually, to take care of that fluid. Burning, for example, is really bad for the climate. So what we also know about chemical recycling is that we don't know enough. We don't have enough independent data that does not come from industry. We have many questions and many insecurities. It's important to mention that the greenhouse gas emissions can vary depending on the type and quality of the plastic waste, the chemical methods used to break it down and the location as well as the energy mix. The UN says accelerating the market for plastics recycling by making it a more stable and profitable venture could cut plastic pollution by 20% in the next 20 years. But for that to happen, recycled materials need to be able to compete on a level playing field with virgin materials. And there needs to be enough plastic waste feedstock available. And for that, there first need to be good collection and sorting systems in place globally. Now that might sound obvious, but it's estimated that there are around 2 billion people currently not connected to any waste collection systems. So that's a really big challenge. Quotas, such as the 30% recycled content target the EU is proposing, will likely drive up the demand for high-quality recycled plastic and increase investment in recycling technology. But the problem remains. To make high-quality recycled plastic, you first need a decent supply of plastic waste.
It's a world dream, lifelong dream of mine to travel the world with a backpack for one year, which is what I did. And it was there six months into the journey between Colombia and Panama, where I sailed from Cartagena to San Blas Islands, like a beautiful trip, um, like supposedly. And it was on the second day on the open ocean where we literally got stuck in a massive carpet of algae and plastic waste. Christian Schiller was halfway through his sabbatical, and it wasn't the Caribbean experience he'd been hoping for. So the algae was forming so densely that it was keeping the plastic waste, almost like a barrier, and, and we had to go through. That was, that was directly on our route, right? And it was spanning the horizon, maybe 30 meters thick, but we had to go through it. And this was the moment where I asked myself, what on earth are we doing? Christian is the CEO of Surplus, an online marketplace for recycled plastic and plastic waste feedstock. Actually, it has never been tried and done, therefore done before to fully digitize the entire buying and selling process of plastic waste and recycled plastics. Yeah, that's like we are really first in class here. And this stems from the core inside. Now, that, that is that the core underlying fundamental problem to solve in the plastic world is that we live in a world where virgin plastic, new plastic, is cheaper than high-quality recycled plastics. And if your listener are listening to this, you have to uh, – let me repeat this because it's so counterintuitive. Mm. You would think it should be the other way around. Something that's recycled should be cheaper because it's been used before than something that's virgin, right? But this is not the world we live in in, 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 in plastics. And that, if you forget everything else I'm telling you today mm. – if you walk away from that from the podcast, you've learned some. the fundamental reason why we're living through the plastic waste crisis is because th because this is the world it is. Therefore, there's nobody interested in buying recycled plastics in the past. Therefore, the waste is useless, worthless. Therefore, it creates all these problems of shipping it to the global south, dumping it into the ocean because nobody sees a good business opportunity in it. And this is what Surplus is about to change. If we talk about the recycling process... Um... I mean, not all plastics these days are recycled or it's difficult, especially with composite plastics, to try and, you know, separate them and get them to be recycled. How, how did you solve this problem that you sort of, you know, you can guarantee to your customers, OK, we, we can assure that this has the quality yep. that you need? The importance for any business model, I would say, but especially for digital business models where you're somewhat removing the personal interaction from one with one another. It's all based on trust, right? You could even argue any business transaction is grounded in trust. And recycling has traditionally been always seen as a very untrustworthy material stream because you're dealing with a very complex mixed waste chain and almost every recycling is unique. Yeah? So, and think of it again in this nightmare scenario. Now you are the Procter & Gamble Unilever Biostorff name and you're charged with buying 20,000 tons of plastic to make sure your packaging always looks the same anywhere in the world, right? At any, and doesn't break on the way to the customer. And now you're faced with a supply chain where the recyclers are essentially telling you, yeah, well, I'm producing the qualities I can because I have only access to this waste. I mean, it's a nightmare. And there was no standard available in the market simply because also nobody was asking in higher end applications for recycled plastic. Now that has changed. You already described it's now hard even to get recycled plastic because demand is coming now. We are in this nascent market stage where demand is forcefully pushing into the market. And now they're realizing, oh, it's actually not available in the quality and quantity that we need. And that is essentially the insight why we decided to build the standard because now we're talking professional buyers are 
asking real serious amount of recycled plastics. And now they need to almost educate, professionalize the suppliers to say, we need to now become commodity business. No longer this flower pot recycling or let's say downcycling. No, you need to now be able to step up the game to be able to be a part of a new packaging or to become even a car part or even an airline part in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that has complete lack of standards and with a lack of standards, no professionalization and therefore also no real availability to finally like get that market off the ground. And that's why we, we were actually approached by the Dean, the German Institute of Norms. They asked us, uh, wouldn't standardization play a real huge role for you to create trust in you as a software? Mm -hmm. And I agree. Um, that's why we invested the money and the time and 16 players from the value chain came to join us to build this standard to actually put the first of its kind, the only, actually, I could say today, really proud, the only available standard worldwide for high-quality recycling plastic is the one standard we've built. Mm -hmm. And it's also been now accepted by the European Commission as the the part of the key of standards of the future of circular plastic. So really big step for us. Without this, you could argue uh, you can try whatever you want with digitization, but without standardizing the materials and the data around the materials, you will never be able to kick such a business model off the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder for our listeners, it's not you're not a recycling company. You bring recyclers and plastic producers together, right? You you solicit the volumes of recycled plastic from both ends, right? Um, so it, it, it's a it, it software, yeah, a digital platform that you offer, right? Correct. I mean, how do you feel about plastics um, today? Because it, it, it's a material, I mean, it's it's been vilified a lot, especially by environmentalists. But at the same time, it's super, super useful. And um, also in certain regions of the globe, it's, it's absolutely necessary um, for, for a lot of reasons. How do you feel about plastics? It's funny that you asked me that question because everybody who joined Surplus as a team member, I asked them that on a scale from one to 10. Um, because yeah, I have a very ambivalent uh, relationship. Like, like you describe it, it's, it's, you cannot argue that plastic is not useful. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think we couldn't have this phone call. You couldn't have this podcast. We would, we would probably not be wearing our clothes today because everything somewhat contains plastic. The modern life would not be possible, nor would it be to really combat climate change if we were to vilify plastic and say out with plastic, you know. Um, you know, the question you must ask anybody who's criticizing us is also, what's the alternative? Are we going to package everything in aluminum now or in paper? And the, the eco-balance of these materials are not necessarily much greater. The real problem with plastic is not the material per se. It's how we deal with the material after it's been used. And I, and I think that's a solvable problem in times where we're aiming to land on Mars I think it's a very human-made problem. We made plastic in the first place. So we should be able to keep the material in the loop, design them in a way that they're easy to be kept in the loop. And then, you know, you also reduce that harmful element that arguably is, and I, I give that to anybody out there, is the biggest issue around plastic. It's, it's causing massive damage. There's no doubt about it. It's even in our bodies, but purely because we can't keep it in the technical loop. So I always say to your listeners and anybody out there, don't be a plastic hater, but be a hater of plastic in the environment. Yeah, um, As long as we do not have an alternative, and I'm all for alternatives as well, because the growth trajectory of plastics is just, for, quite frankly, scary. Just one data point for your listeners. By 2050, we will produce between three to four times as much plastics as we're producing today. Yeah. And we haven't closed the leakage into the environment. But that's just a scary data point at the end here. On the positive thing, 
I'm very optimistic in saying if we really get our act together as humans and say, all right, let's stop it. Let's stop this influx. We can control the material. We can design it in a way. We have everything at our hands available. If we just mean it, then we're able to close the loop and therefore eradicate that negative aspect about plastics. Christian Schiller, co-founder of Surplus. Thank you very much for your time and joining me here with On The Green Feds. My pleasure, Neil. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And if I were to sum it up, we need recycling technologies to be able to wean the plastic industry off fossil fuels. But for the recycling system to work, it needs investment and better plastic design. But it's not the only solution. There will be a need to cut down on single-use packaging and plastic that is toxic to the environment. As consumers, we can also avoid unnecessary plastic and reuse plastic where possible. But finally, I do want to stress, though, that as much as we as consumers are contributing to this deluge of plastic waste, it is in fact just a handful of companies who are firmly keeping us on this plastic drip and could change the entire plastic narrative tomorrow if they wanted to, something that the acclaimed marine scientist and ecotoxicologist Tamara Galloway underlined when I spoke to her for our episode on microplastics. We can't afford not to do things differently. And ultimately, the way to solve the problem is to follow the money. So ultimately, we have to persuade those big companies, the, the three biggest companies who are responsible for most of the plastic production and their sponsors, the people who fund those companies, to think about doing things differently. We do a lot of work in the Galapagos Islands, so the iconic islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean um, where the, the modern theories of evolution were born. It's iconic. It's beautiful. Do you want to be the company whose plastic bottle we take out of the stomach of a seal? Do you want us to, to show that brand and say, well, this is where your, your products are ending up? Of course you don't. You don't want your products to do that. So, so design things differently so they don't. And that, in fact, brings us to the end of this series on plastics. But before I leave you, I just wanted to point out one more thing that became very clear while working on this series, and that was just how complicated the global web of plastic is, just trying to track down certain statistics for recycling or emissions or cost or production were very tricky and often there were conflicting findings and information but we've tried to distill the research we did in the most accurate way possible and also hopefully in a way that has been interesting and entertaining as well now if you have any feedback or questions on the series please do drop us a line or a voice message to on the green fence at dw.com Many thanks to my sound engineer, Ziad Abu Sleiman, and my colleague and producer, Natalie Muller. And a big thanks to all our listeners for your interest, your patience, your valuable input, and your very kind feedback. And uh, if you're at a loose end today and haven't done so yet, why not take a few minutes to write a short and sweet review on Apple Podcasts? That would certainly make our day. That's it from me for now. My name is Neil King. Take it easy and take care.
You've been listening to an episode of the mini-series on plastics by my On the Green Fence colleagues. For more of that mini-series or their other content, go check out DW Podcasts on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find more of Living Planet there too, of course. Thanks for listening. I'm Sarah Steffen. Living Planet is back soon with more environmental stories from around the world. We'll be right back.